So chapter 8, Leavings and Partings. Sometimes he could no longer see the dead. It had begun a month or two previously, in April or in May. At first, it had only happened occasionally, but now it seemed to be happening more and more. The world was changing. Bod wandered over to the northwestern part of the graveyard to tangle ivy that hung from a yew tree and half-blocked the exit from the Egyptian walk. He saw a red fox and a large black cat with a white collar, paws, who sat conversing together in the middle of the path. At Bod's approach, they looked up, startled, then fled into the undergrowth as if they'd been caught uh, conspiring. Odd, he thought. He'd known that fox since had been a cub, and the cat had prowled through the graveyard for as long as Bod could remember. They knew him. If they were feeling friendly, they even let him pet them. Bod started to slip, though the ivy, but found his way blocked. He bent down and pushed the ivy out of the way and squeezed through. He walked down the path carefully, avoiding the ruts and holes until he reached the impressive stone that marked the final resting place of Alonzo Thomas Gracia Garcia-Jones, 1837-1905. Traveller lay down their staff. Bod had come, been coming down here every few days for several months. Alonzo Jones had been all over the world and took great pleasure in telling Bod stories of his travels. He would begin by saying, nothing interesting has ever happened to me. Then would add gloomingly, I have told you about all my tales. And then his eyes would flash and he would remark, except did I ever tell you about? And whatever the next words were, the next time, the time I had to escape from Moscow. Or that time I lost the Alaskan gold mine worth a fortune. The cattle stampede on the, on the pampas. Bod would always shake his head and look expectant. And soon enough, his head would be swimming with tales of daring do and high adventure. Tales of maidens kissed and evildoers shot with pistols or fought with swords. Of bags of gold. Of diamonds as big as the tip of your thumb. Of lost cities and vast mountains. Of steam trains and clipper ships and pampas oceans, deserts and tundra. Bod walked over the painted, a pointed stone, tall and carved with upside-down torches, and he waited, but saw no one. He called to Alonzo Jones, even knocked on the side of the stone, but there was no response. Bod leaned down to push his head into the grave and call his friends, but instead his head slipping through the solid matter like a shadow passing through a deeper shadow. His head met the ground with a hard and painful thump. He called again, but saw nothing or no one, and carefully made his way out of the tangle of greenery and grey stones and back to the path. Three magpies perched in a hawthorn tree took wing as he passed them. He did not see another soul until he reached the graveyard's southwestern slope where the familiar shape of Mother Slaughter, tiny in her hair but in her high bonnet and her cloak, could be seen walking between the gravestones, head bent and looking at wildflowers. Here, boy, she called. There's Nestashulam's growing wild over here. Why don't you pick some for me and put them over by my stone? So Bod picked up the red and yellow nostrums and he carried them over to Mother Slaughter's headstone, so cracked and worn and weathered that all it was said now was laugh, which had puzzled the local historians for over a hundred years. He put down the flowers in front of the stone respectfully. Mother Slaughter smiled at him. You're a good lad. I don't know what we'll do without you. Thank you, said Bod. Then where is everyone? You're the first person I've seen tonight. Mother Slaughter peered at him sharply. What do you do, you do to your forehead? She asked. I bumped it on Mr. Jones's grave. It was solid, I... But Mother Slaughter was pursing her lips and tilting her head. Bright old, bright old eyes scrutinised Bod from beneath her bonnet. I called you boy, didn't I? But time passes in the blink of an eye, and it's a young man you are now, isn't it? How old are you? About 15, I think. Though I still feel the same as I always did, Bod said. But Mother Slaughter interrupted, and I still feels like I've done that when I was a tiny slip of a thing, making daisy chains in the old pie pasture. 
You're always you, that don't change, and you're always changing, there's nothing you can do about it. She sat down on a broken stone and said, I remember the night you came here, boy. I says, we can't let the little fellow leave, and your mother agrees, and all of them starts, uh, starts arguing and whatnot until the lady on the grave wides up. People of the graystone, graveyard, she listened. So listen to your mother, Slaughter. Have you not got any charity in your bones? And then all of them agreed with me. She trailed off and shook her head. There's not much that happens here to make one day unlike the next. The seasons change, uh, ivy grows and styrofoams fall over. But you're coming here. Well, I'm glad you did, that's all. She stood up and pulled a grubby piece of linen from her sleeve and spat on it and reached up as high as she could and she scrubbed the blood from Bod's forehead. There, that ought to make you look presentable, she said severely. Seeing as if I don't know when, I, when next I'll see you anyway. Keep safe. Feeling discomforted in a way he could not remember, having felt before, Bod made his way to the Owens' tomb and pleased to see both his parents waiting for him beside it. As it got closer, his treasure turned into a concern. Anyway. As he got closer, his pleasure turned into a concern. Why did Mr. and Mrs. Owens stand like that, arranged on each side of the tomb like characters from a stained glass window? He could not read their faces. His father took a step forward and said, Evening, Bod. I trust you are keeping well. Tolerable well, said Bod, which was what Mr. Owens always said to his friends when they asked him the same question. Mr. Owens said, Mistress Owens and I spent our lives wishing that we had a child. I did not believe that we could have had a better young man than you, Bod. He looked up, his sign with pride. Bod said, well, yes, thank you. But he turned to his mother, certain he could get her to tell her what was happening. But she was no longer there. Where did she go? Oh, yes, Mr. Owen seemed ill at ease. And you know, Betsy, these things, the times, well, when you don't know what to say, you know? No, said Bod. I expect Silas is waiting for you, said his father, and he thought, and then he was gone. It was past midnight. Bod began to walk toward the old chapel. The tree that grew out of the gutter of a spire had fallen into the last storm, taking a handful of the slate black tiles with it. Bod waited on the grey wooden bench, but there was no sign of Silas. The wind gusted. It was late on the summer's night when the twilight lasts forever and it was warm. But Bod, still, Bod felt goose pimples rising on her arms. A voice by his ear said, Say you'll miss me, you lumpkin. Lisa? said Bod. He had not seen or heard from the witch girl for over a year, not since the night at the jacks of all trades. Where have you been? Watching, she said. Does the lady have to tell everything she does? Watching me? Lisa's voice close to his ear said, truly life is wasted on the living, nobody Owens, and one from us it's too foolish to live, and it is not I. Say you will miss me. Where are you going? asked Bod. Then, of course I will miss you, wherever you go. Too stupid, whispered Lisa Hemstock's voice, and he could feel the touch of her hand on his head, a hand on on his hand. Too stupid to live. The touch of her lips against his cheek, against the corner of his lips, that she kissed him gently, and he was too perplexed, too utterly wrong-footed to know what to do. Her voice said, I will miss you too, always. A breath of wind ruffled his hair if it was not the touch of her hand, and then he knew, he knew alone on his bench. He got up. Bod walked over to the chapel door, lifted the stone beside the porch and pulled out the spare key. Left there by a long dead sexton, he unlocked the big wooden door without even testing to see if he could slip through it. It creaked open, protesting. The inside of the chapel was dark and Bod found himself squinting as he tried to see. Come in, Bod, it was Silas's voice. I can't see anything, said Bod. It was too dark. Already, said Silas. 
he sighed. Bod heard a velvet rustle, and then a match was struck and it flamed and was used to light two huge candles that sat on the carved wooden candlesticks on the back of the room. In the candlelight, Bod could see his guardian standing beside a large leather chest of the kind they called a steamer trunk, big enough that a tall man could have curled up and slept inside it. Beside it was Silas's black leather bag, which Bod had seen before on a handful of occasions, but which he still found impressive. The steamer trunk was lined with whiteness. Bod put a hand into the empty trunk, touched the silk lining, touched dried earth. Is this where you sleep? he asked. When I'm far from my house, yes, said Silas. Bod was taken aback. Silas had been here as long as he could remember and before. Isn't this your house? Silas shook his head. My house is a long, long from here. And that is if it's in house, still habitable. There have been problems in my native land. As far as I'm certain, that will find on my return. You're going back, asked Bod. Things that have been immutable were changing. You're really leaving, but you're my guardian. I was your guardian, but you're old enough to guard yourself. I have other things to protect. Silas closed the lid of the brown leather trunk and began to do the straps and buckles. Can't I stay here in the graveyard? You must not, sighed Silas, more gently than Bod could remember him either saying anything. All the people here have had their lives, Bod. Even they were short ones. Now it's your turn. You need to live. Can I come with you? Silas shook his head. Will I see you again? Perhaps. There was a kindness in Silas's voice and something more. And whether you'll see it or not, I have no doubt that I'll see you. He put the leather trunk against the wall and walked over to the door in the far corner. Follow me. Bod walked behind Silas, followed him down the small spiral staircase to the crypt. I took the liberty of packing a case for you. Silas explained as they reached the bottom. On the top of the box of Mildenheim books was a small leather case, suitcase, a miniature twine, a miniature twin to Silas's own. Your possessions are all in there, said Silas. Bod said, tell me about the honour guard, Silas. You're in it. Miss Lipska was. Who else? Are there a lot of you? What do you do? We don't do enough, said Silas. Mostly we guard the borderlands. We protect the borders of things. What kind of borders? Silas said nothing. You mean like stopping the man Jack and his people? Silas said, we do what we have to. She sounded weary. But you did the right thing, I mean, stopping the Jacks. They were terrible. They were monsters. Silas took a step closer to Bod, which made the youth tilt back his head to look at the tall man's pale face. Silas said, I've not always done the right thing when I was younger. I did worse than the Jacks, worse than any of them. I was the monster then, Bod, and worse than any monster. It did not even cross Bod's mind to wonder if the Guardian was lying or joking. He knew that he was being told the truth. He said, but you aren't that any longer, are you? Silas said, people can change, and then fell silent. Bod wondered if his Guardian, if Silas was remembering then. It was an honour to be your Guardian, young man. His hand vanished inside his cloak, reappeared, holding a battered old wallet. This is for you. Take it. Bod took the wallet, but did not open it. It contains money, enough to give you a start in the world, but nothing more. Bud said, I want to see Alistair Jones today, but he wasn't there. Or if I was, I couldn't see him. I wanted to tell him about distant places. Places where people would dress and eat in the strangest ways. Bod hesitated. Then, those places there, still there. I mean, there's a whole world out there. Can I see it? Can I go there? Bod nodded. There is a whole world out there, yes. You have a passport in the inner pocket of your suitcase. It's made out in the name of Nobody Owens, and it was not easy to obtain. Bod said, if I change my mind, can I come back here? And then he answered his own question. If I come back, it will be a place, but it won't be my home anymore, any longer. Silas said, would you like me to walk you to the front gate? Bod shook his head. Best if I do it on my own. 
Um, Silas, if you're ever in trouble, call me. I'll come and help. I, said Silas, do not get into trouble. No, I don't suppose you do. But still, it was dark in the crypt and smelled of mildew and damp and old stones and it seemed for the, very, for the first time very small. Bud said, I want to see life. I want to hold it in my hands and I want to leave a footprint on the sand of Desert Island. I want to play football with people. I want, he said, and then he paused and he thought, I want everything. Good, said Silas. And then he put up his hand as if he were brushing away the hair from his eyes, a most uncharacteristic gesture. He said, if it ever transpires that I am in trouble, I shall indeed send for you, even though you don't get into trouble, as you say. There was something at the edge of Silas's lips that might have been a smile and it might have been regret and it might have just been a trick of the shadows. Goodbye then, Silas. Bod held out his hand as he had when he was a small boy and Silas took it in a cold hand of the colour of the old ivory and shook it gravely. Goodbye, nobody owns. Bod picked up his little suitcase. He opened the door to let himself out of the crypt and walked back up to the gentle slope to the path without looking back. It was well after the gates were locked, he wondered as if he reached them, as if the gates would still let him back through them, or if he would have to go back into the chapel to get a key. But when he got to the entrance, he found the small pedestrian gate was unlocked and wide open as if it was waiting for him, as if the graveyard itself was bidding him goodbye. One pale, plump figure waited in front of the open gate, and she smiled up at him as while he came towards her, and there were tears in her eyes in the moonlight. Hello, mother, said Bod. Mistress Owens rubbed her eyes with a knuckle and then dabbed at them with an apron, and she shook her head. Do you know what you're going to do now? she asked. See the world, said Bod. Get into trouble. Get out of the trouble again. Visit jungles and volcanoes and deserts and islands and people. I want to meet an awful lot of people. Mistress Owens made no immediate reply. She stared up at him, and then she began to sing a song that Bod remembered, a song she used to sing when he was a tiny thing, a song that she used to lull him to sleep when he was small. Sleep, my little baby, oh, sleep until you're awake, and when you're awake, you'll see the world, if I'm not mistaken. You're not, whispered Bod, and I shall. Kiss a lover, dance a measure, find your name, a buried treasure. Then the last lines of the song came back to Mistress Owens, and she sung them to her son. Face your life, it is pain, it's pleasure, life, no pay, path untaken. Leave no path untaken, repeated Bod, a difficult challenge, but I can try my best. He tried to put his arms around his mother then, as he had when he was a child, although he might as well have been trying to hold mist, for he was alone on the path. He took a step forward through the gate that took him out of the graveyard. He thought a voice said, I am so proud of you, my son. But he might, perhaps, have imagined it. The midsummer sky was already beginning to lighten in the east, and that was the way that Bod began to walk down the hill towards the living people and into the city, down the dawn. There was a passport in his bag, money in his pocket, and there was a smile dancing on his lips, although it was a weary smile, for the world is a bigger place than a little graveyard on a hill. There would be dangers in it, mysteries, new friends to make, old friends to rediscover, mistakes to be made, and many paths to be walked before he would finally return to the graveyard or ride with the lady on the broad back of her great grey stallion. Between now and then there was life, and Bod walked into it with his eyes and heart wide open.